welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we read that last line that Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We pray, Lord, for that blessing this morning. We pray for the blessing of belief. Lord, for those who are here and have never believed, never believed savingly in Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would give them the gift of belief, Lord. We know that faith is a gift from you. We know that faith is something that your spirit produces in the heart of a person that is even dead to you, hasn't known you, and that you bring them alive, and we pray that you would do that. We also pray, Lord, for the gift of belief for your people. Lord, our faith can be stronger or weaker. We see that with Thomas here this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us a gift of faith, a gift of believing, Lord, that even not seeing that we believe. Even more than that, Lord, we pray that you'd cause us to see Christ with the eyes of our hearts, that his resurrection would be so manifest to our senses, to our hearts, to our souls, that it would be as if we saw him this morning. And we pray, Lord, for that blessing. Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. And we know that that's a, a special blessing you give to your people. And, and we thank you for that. And we receive that today. We pray glorify your son and all that we do today. And all God's people pray. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was good. You don't need more. After Jesus died on the cross, just think about how that would have felt to the original people that said it. In this passage, we see the disciples telling Thomas that he's risen. Just imagine what those words would have felt like on those first disciples that, that Sunday morning. Jesus had died on the cross on a Friday. They laid his body in a tomb. It was uh, sealed and guarded. The Saturday between Good Friday and today, that Saturday, the disciples spent in grief and in doubt and in fear and in hiding, thinking that all their hopes had died with Jesus. 
when we think about Holy Week and we think about all the days of the week, that Saturday is one we don't tend to think about very much, but that was an extremely dark day, an extremely dark day. The disciples did not expect that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They thought their hopes were over. Then, early Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead, and then starting with Mary Magdalene, he appeared to the disciples, showing he was alive and well. This morning, we're going to see how believing in the resurrection gives us peace. Notice in verse 19, when Jesus first appeared to the disciples in verse 19, they're locked behind closed doors. They're behind locked doors for fear of persecution. And then the resurrected Jesus comes in, and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Then notice in verse 26, the next time he comes, when he sees Thomas, the doors are locked, and he says, peace be with you. What does this tell us? It tells us that knowing that Jesus has been truly raised from the dead gives his people tremendous peace. Now, John is written in Greek, but Jesus most certainly would have used that deep Hebrew word shalom for peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom is a, a deep sense in the soul that there's nothing to fear that all is right in the world, and that literally everything is going to work out for your good. Those of you who are believers have experienced this to some degrees here and there, up and down, but it's that deep, profound sense that God is going to make everything okay, that I'm right with him, and so, you know, if he is for me, who can stand against me? You just have that solid sense of peace. Before Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus, he was a man with no peace. He had no shalom. Take a look at verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This guy is commonly known as Doubting Thomas, which, guys, is totally unfair. He did it once. Okay, he did it once. It's like, it's like you grew up in a small town or maybe even your family, you made that one big mistake and nobody will ever let it go. It's been thousands of years now. We should let it go. This poor guy. And he could actually be quite courageous. You know, when Jesus, earlier in John, when Jesus was going to go to Judea, certainly headed for trouble and they thought to their death, Thomas said this, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. That's Thomas too. So, but here, Thomas has no peace. And he's actually in a really frustrating situation because the rest of the disciples all got to see Jesus alive and well. But Thomas wasn't there. He just didn't happen to be there. You know, maybe he had stepped out for some falafel just at the wrong time. <laughs> but he comes back and he finds out that he missed the most important moment of his life, right? To make matters worse, the Greek tense in verse 25 has the sense of they kept on telling him Jesus was raised from the dead. They kept on trying to tell him. It was a week of this kind of torture, right? Eight days later, Jesus appears to him. And you get the sense of frustration in Thomas when he says that unless he touches Jesus, I will never believe. Super defiant, right? He's feeling really frustrated. And he's feeling like God really let him down. You know, why not me? You know, Jesus knows who's home and who's not. You know, why did he come when I wasn't there? You also get the sense of frustration in the word he uses, the Greek word he uses for touch. It's the Greek word balo. It's a violent word. Like, it's the word for casting a net. It's, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I'll never believe. He's getting intense here, right? He's frustrated. He's a man with no peace. And I just say, perhaps you're like him this morning, in a state of anxiety, in a state of frustration. 
The one thing that will cure that is to see what Thomas saw, to really know that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what gives us that shalom peace, that deep sense of peace. And what we're going to see this morning is that knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead gives you peace with the truth, that it's all true, gives you peace with God, and gives you peace with the future. Let's first look at gives you peace with the truth. And knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead gives you peace with the truth. Peace that you know that the gospel's true. The fact that he was raised from the dead proves that Jesus is who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do. When you read through John, you'll see that Jesus makes a lot of big claims, doesn't he? The biggest claims, right? Claims he's God, claims he's the only way to God, claims he's the one true sacrifice for sin, claims he's the savior of the world, claims that you should turn your back on anything that would keep you from him and give your whole life to him. These are big claims. Kind of the biggest claims you can make, right? But for Thomas, Jesus' grisly death on Friday brings the whole thing into question. Maybe I was duped, you know? Maybe he isn't who he said he was. Maybe he thought he was. Maybe Jesus had the right intentions and he, he had a bit of a Messiah complex and he, he really believed these things about himself, but now he's dead. You know, maybe I was duped. Maybe I was lied to. How can I know? That's a real possibility in his mind. But then as the week goes on, he keeps hearing from the disciples, they keep on telling him, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then he begins to think, well, if Jesus pulled that off, that would settle it, wouldn't it? If Jesus was really raised from the dead, then he is who he said he is. Notice, though, that Thomas wants to see specifically Jesus' wounds. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Why the wounds? You know, why specifically does he want to see not just the resurrected Jesus, he wants to see Jesus' wounds. He wants to see these because these characteristic scars will be proof that the crucified Jesus is the resurrected Jesus, that it's the same body. These are very distinctive wounds, right? Not everybody's cruising around with these. To see Jesus with his wounds would verify that the crucified Jesus had indeed been resurrected. It would verify his resurrection. And Jesus is so gracious to Thomas. He heard Thomas's cries. He comes and he gives the proof. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Guys, Jesus didn't want Thomas to, to continue in the uncertainty about his resurrection. He didn't want him to linger in uncertainty. So he says, Here, be certain. The proof's all here. Feel this. See this. Put your finger here. I'm alive and well. I've been wounded for you, and here I am alive. He's like, don't be doubting. Believe, right? And he doesn't want any of you this morning, guys, to linger in uncertainty. Whether you're somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus, hasn't really come to him before, or you're those who have followed him for a long time. Thomas has followed him for three years. Jesus doesn't want you to linger in uncertainty about whether he was raised. He has the same invitation for you this morning. Look at the evidence. It's all here. It all checks out. Don't disbelieve, but believe. How do we do that? Well, obviously, Jesus' body isn't here. He, you know, we're not going to pull him out from behind the screen here, you know, that you can feel his wounds and, and see him alive and well. And there's a really, really good reason for that. He's ascended and reigning in heaven, 
okay, bodily. That's where we want him, by the way. It actually is better for us that he is reigning bodily in heaven over all this than if he was here and we could feel his wounds. So how do we today do the same thing? How do we explore the evidence? And we do that through the abundant evidence Jesus has left for us in the testimony of the apostles. The apostles who observed him, who saw him alive, left their testimony. They left their testimony in the New Testament. As you read through the New Testament, the apostles over and over again keep on telling you that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? That same evidence that should have been enough for Thomas is enough for us. So they saw him resurrected over a 40-day period. They wrote what they had seen. They had died for the testimony they gave. And that's what we look to now. But I want to address some of the doubts people have. Um, Some of you guys tend to doubt. Maybe I'm so defensive about Thomas because I am a doubter. You know, I'm like, leave him alone, you know, like, but uh, I tend to doubt as well. And so I've thought through a lot of these things. So if they sound like they've been thought through, they were actually thought through by me. I went on the inside of the doubt, experienced it, and maybe you'll feel some benefit from it. But I want to go through the, the reasons why we should believe their testimony so that you can believe in his resurrection. You can have real peace that it's true. Here's a few of the doubts people have. Some people say, well, I hear you about this whole account about him raised and everything, but... Maybe the apostles just went to the empty tomb, and they just saw an empty tomb, and they just assumed he was raised, right? They just assumed he was raised. Maybe somebody stole the body or whatever, but they they go to the empty tomb, and they go, oh, look, he's not there. He's risen. A little bit of a jump in logic, right? That's not what the apostles claim, though. They don't claim they just found an empty tomb. They claim to have touched him, to have seen him, to have interacted with him. Hundreds of people actually interacted with Jesus in a very intimate way over a 40-day period before he ascended into heaven. And so it wasn't just an empty tomb. They actually handled his body. You might say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross, okay? He didn't really die on the cross. He put in the tomb, and he walks around okay because he never died. No resurrection needed, right? This is famously one of the arguments of Islam, is that maybe he didn't die, and he just appeared to have died, and later was resuscitated, you know, came out of his tomb and showed himself alive and well. But guys, let's remember these scars that Thomas is seeing, they remind us of what happened to Jesus just a few days earlier, right? He was scourged. He was whipped until his back was like threads of quivering flesh. He was crucified. You know, they drove nails right through his carpal bones, right through his feet. Then they speared him into his chest to make sure he was dead. If Jesus somehow survived all that, He's not going to be skipping around town immediately telling everybody he conquered death, right? He's going to look like death. It's not going to be a reassuring sight, okay? (laughs) But here he is alive and well. So we we can toss that one aside. Maybe the apostles just wanted so badly for Jesus to be alive that they hallucinated. That happens. That's happened to me. It's probably happened to some of you. You know, you lose somebody in your life and you're out in town and you see somebody and you're like, oh my gosh. And it's not them. You thought it was them because you wanted so bad for it to be them. They knew about this stuff too, guys. They knew about hallucinations. They knew about visions. They didn't trust their eyes. Look at Thomas, verse 25. He goes, unless I stick my hand in those holes, I'm not going to believe. These were skeptical people. These weren't people that saying, oh, I think I saw him at the mall. (laughs) You know, it's not that kind of deal. It's like they went up and they touched him, right? They touched his scars. They ate with him. They met with him in big groups, guys. There's one account in 1 Corinthians that talks about there's 500 people with him at one time. People do hallucinate sometimes. People don't synchronize their hallucinations between 500 of them, okay? Plus, they're handling him. They're with him. You think, well, maybe the, maybe the apostles just made it up. 
You know, we're, you, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, religious scammers. Maybe they just made it all up. Let me ask you this. What did they have to gain? Let's not forget they're behind locked doors for a reason here. People are out to kill them. There's nothing to gain from making this up. It's not like now, if you make up some religion, make a bunch of money. That's not the deal. All these people were killed, except for one of them, were killed in brutal ways, including Thomas. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, ancient people, they just believed in stuff like resurrections. They weren't skeptical like us. They were just real kind of easy to trick. C.S. Lewis had a word for this. Chronological snobbery. This is when you think ancient people are stupid because they lived a long time ago. And that because we live in modern times, we're so much smarter than them. You know, Plato, Aristotle, all those idiots. And then there's us. You know, finally, intellectual evolution has come to a stage where it's given us us. It's called chronological snobbery. You look back at people, you go, well, they lived, you know, maybe 100 years ago, they were kind of as smart as me, but a couple thousand, I don't know. The snobbery. The other thing to realize is that ancient people didn't just believe in stuff like resurrections. The Jews believed in one resurrection where everybody was raised at once, so they didn't believe in individual resurrections like this, and the Greeks hated the idea because they hated the physical. So this wasn't something they just believed in. They were no more likely to believe in the resurrection than we are. We just have different objections. You know, we have materialist scientific objections. They had philosophical objections, but either way, they looked for proof. Look at Thomas. He's looking for proof. Right? The, guys, the church exploded into being in the worst possible soil. Think about it. The church starts with thousands of Jews that are willing to die following a man who claims to be God and was crucified. This is the worst combo, okay? You think about like, you know, let's make up a religion that the Jews would like in the first century. This is the anti-religion. Why did it take off? Why did it take off within weeks in the very place that it happened? Because they saw him raised from the dead. They saw him raised from the dead, and that changed everything. You might say, well, you know, that sounds compelling and everything, but Eric, it's scientifically impossible. It's just something that doesn't happen. People don't come back from the dead. And I hear you on that. I'm a sciencey guy myself. I hear you on that. But the question here that we're trying to figure out is whether a miracle took place. Guys, this is not a science question. This is a history question. It's not a science question. It's a history question. It's a question of whether historically something very surprising and strange happened. Okay? And all the historical evidence checks out, guys. As strange as unexpected as this is, it's the best explanation for the historical data. Jesus really was raised from the dead. And you can see Thomas's response. He believed when he saw that Jesus was raised from the dead. Verse 28, my Lord and my God. And that should be our response to this morning. Jesus stands before you this morning through the preaching of the word and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And guys, you might have reasons you don't want to believe, but you don't have any good reasons not to believe. Let me say it again for people in the back. <laughs> you might have reasons you don't want to believe, and they might sound really good to you, but you don't have reasons that you shouldn't believe. You don't have good reasons not to believe. You might have reasons you don't want to believe. You might have reasons like, okay, if this is true, then I understand this isn't one of these things where I just go, oh, that's neat, and walk on. I give my whole life to Jesus, and I don't know what that's like. I don't know, I don't know what that's going to cost me. Um, I, I don't know what it would be like to follow Jesus and give up my personal freedom to follow someone else. That's not something I do. Or you might say, I don't know what it would mean to follow Jesus for my relationships with those who don't follow Jesus. 
Like, what's that going to do? And I'll just say to you this morning, guys, Jesus will help you sort all that out, okay? He'll help you sort all that out. Your role today is to believe and follow him. He will help you sort this out. Guys, if Jesus is strong enough to die on the cross for your sins, and he's strong enough to be raised from the dead, he is strong enough to help you figure out how to follow him. There's a lot of unanswered questions. What would that look like? How will I do it? I don't think I can. I get that. Your struggles look big, but Jesus is bigger, amen? Jesus is bigger. You trust him with your life. He's done all that. You can hand him your life, and you can say, hey, this is, this is a mess. I've messed it up a bunch, and I have no idea what it would look like for this messy life to be you know, a follower of you. You just hand it to him. Look at the disciples. Those are messed up people. Jesus took those lives, and he made them new. Jesus has shown us that he has been raised from the dead. Like he did with Thomas this morning, I think what he's done is he has called your bluff, coming through your locked doors, and he stands before you and he says, do not disbelieve but believe. He has displayed himself to you this morning in his word. We need to receive him. He says, peace be with you. Receive that peace by receiving him. Don't be disbelieving but believe. Like Thomas say, my Lord and my God. So, uh, believing the resurrection gives us peace with the truth, that it's all true. It also gives us peace with God. Secondly, the resurrection gives us peace with God. Paul famously said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Big claim, right? So if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then you have no reason to believe that he was right about anything he said. But he has been raised from the dead. We saw that this morning. And that proves that he has successfully paid for all of your sins on the cross. That's the peace Thomas felt when he saw Jesus alive and well on that first Easter. And think about the, the particular peace that he saw when he looked at the wounds. He looked at the scars. He didn't just see Jesus alive. He saw Jesus' scars for him. Think of the peace he would have in, in seeing that. You know, looking at Jesus' hands and looking at his side. Thomas was able to handle the wounds and go, this is where it happened. You know? Some of you guys are really into history and you, you want to go to a place where something happened, a battle happened, or something was signed, or some great event happened. You're like, it happened right here. And Thomas is holding the wounds of Jesus and going, this is where it happened. This is where my sin was paid for. I see it. These were the marks where you were pierced for my transgressions. You really did it. The evidence is all here. It's finished. Imagine the peace. Revelation 5 indicates that Jesus still has his uh, scars in heaven. That now ascended in heaven physically, that he still has his scars. He still has the proofs of the cross. He still has his wounds from how he paid for your sin. I find that extremely comforting. You find that extremely comforting? You know, a lot of things were fixed in Jesus' resurrection. I mean, it's, you saw in Isaiah 53 on Friday that it said he was marred beyond human semblance. So he certainly was cleaned up in his resurrection, and he, his body was made new. But the scars were left, and I'm so thankful they were. I just find it extremely comforting to think about Jesus in heaven as my high priest with those scars. Hebrews 4 says this, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then it says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Guys, when you sin and you repent of your sin and you come to your high priest, Jesus, he's the one with the scars of your redemption. He's the one with the scars of redemption. I mean, how could we ever think that we won't be joyfully received back when we've fallen again? How can we ever believe that? Because the one we're coming to still bears the scars of his love for you. He's wearing them. He has them in his hands. Certainly those crucified hands will receive you with joy. Or how can we ever think that Jesus has forgotten us? Think about Thomas in that week. Feeling like a bit of an outcast. Feeling like he kind of missed out on stuff, right? Feeling like maybe God's just kind of shoved him aside. Maybe, maybe we'll go, you know, 10 instead of 11 or 12 apostles. You know, he's feeling kind of rejected, left out. Like, I haven't heard from him in a while. Why, why is he so far off? But guys, those scars on Jesus' wrists and the, that scar on his side assure us that he'll never forget about us, right? Isaiah 49 says this, Can a mother forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Ladies are like, no, of course not. Listen to this. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you, God says to you. Behold, I have you graven on my hands. Isn't that beautiful? It's from Isaiah. The resurrection gives us peace of knowing that we have peace with God. So peace with the truth, peace with God, and then lastly, peace with the future. This one means a lot to me. Knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead gives us peace about the future, it assures us of our own resurrection. It gives us peace with death and peace with suffering. Guys, the resurrection is such a powerful antidote for our fear of the future. You know? I mean, I have dealt with tons of anxiety in my life, and I misuse my imagination. I misuse my imagination to spin these, like, dystopian worlds, these hellscapes that I'm going to live in, and things are going to be terrible, right? You know, maybe some of you guys do this, too. You can build whole worlds. And all the things that are going to go wrong and all the suffering that's going to occur and all the ways that things are going to be awful. A lot of the things are mutually exclusive, so it's kind of weird that they all happen, you know. But all of them are there. And, and in that kind of dystopian hellscape that I think I'm going to live in, there's no God there, right? It's never like, oh, and then God came and may think, no, that's never there. And those kind of fears that I have. Guys, the resurrection is a powerful antidote to fear of the future. Look at verse 19. When Jesus came and appeared before him, it says the doors were locked because they were afraid of persecution. They were thinking what's going to happen. And then verse 26 says, when Jesus appeared to Thomas, the doors were still locked. Implication is he's afraid. You know, he's afraid of the future. He's afraid of what might happen. Is that your temptation? Is your temptation to fear the future? To kind of lock yourself up inside and try and protect yourself from the world? You know, in a lot of ways, I can't talk you out of that. The world's a dangerous place, right? You know, I can't tell you, like, oh, don't worry. The world's totally safe and wonderful. You know, no need to be afraid. Every, everything will be great. Don't worry. Be happy. No. The world is dangerous. Thomas faced real danger, right? There was persecution. There were people that wanted to kill him. We do face real danger, too. Knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead, though, guys, gives us peace with the future, Jesus' resurrection gives us a peace of knowing that our death is not the end, but one day we will be raised again from the dead. Okay? And I think this is something that a lot of Christians are foggy on still, which is you think, okay, when I, when I die, you know, if I'm a believer, I'm, my soul goes up to be with the Lord, and you know, forever with the Lord in a happy kind of misty land. That's not the picture. That part's true, 
But that's not your final state. That's the intermediate state. What happens later is Jesus returns, raises our bodies, makes them totally whole again, makes them glorious, then we live on in a new world with Jesus and with each other. And the reason why the resurrection is so assuring on this, Jesus' resurrection, is that it's very clearly the same body, right? Remember, Thomas wants to see the scars because he wants to verify the crucified Jesus' body is the resurrected because it looks so much better, right? He wants to make sure that it is the same body. Jesus' resurrection is like the first fruits. He's the first example of what he's going to do for all of his people. His resurrected body came back to life. Ours will too. And what's really neat is as you look at those 40 days that he was wandering around with his people after his resurrection, it gives us a picture of what life in the resurrected world is going to be like, right? Because they just picked up where they left off, didn't they? It had been three days, they picked up where they left off. For some of us, you know, it may be a long, long time between our death and our resurrection, but we're going to pick up where we left off. You see the kind of things, they enjoyed each other, Right? They remembered each other, of course. They had their relationships. They, they were friends. They, they ate together. They talked together. They went fishing. They were catching up. You know, it was like he dies, he's resurrected, and life, this life that he started over here continues on forever. It's going to be the same for us. The life we've started here with each other will continue on in the resurrection. We'll enjoy Jesus and each other in a world made new. Knowing Jesus was raised from the dead gives us peace with death. It also gives us peace with suffering. If you're like me, you haven't just feared death, you feared how you might get there, right? You fear the, the suffering, you fear the, the things that will happen to you. We fear the ways we'll be wounded, right? And there's a lot of ways that this world will wound you. Not might, will. Be wounded in your relationships, wounded in your bodies, wounded in your health, wounded in your reputation, wounded in your finances, there's a bunch of ways to be wounded. And whenever we get wounded, our, our automatic thought is like, nothing good could come from this, right? Isn't that what you guys think? You're not like, oh, wounding, this makes sense. No, you're like, nothing good could come from this. Nothing good comes from being wounded. But what's amazing is, you know, you think about the disciples, you think about them on Good Friday, you think about them watching their friend, their savior, their master be wounded. And you're watching They're watching him be crucified. They're watching him suffer. And I know that they were thinking that same thing. Nothing good could come from this. Nothing good could come from this. Only to find out, three days later at the resurrection, God's glorious purpose for Jesus' wounds. And now Thomas gets to see him. Think about that. Think about his glorious wounds. Think about Thomas getting to see them. What would that be like? What would that be like for Thomas? You know, imagine for you in the world to come when you're resurrected and you're, you're in that world, we're there with one another and we're there with Jesus. Imagine how you'll feel when you see Jesus' wounds. How will you feel when you see Jesus' wounds? When you see his scars that have been healed, but they're there, those imprints. How will you feel? Imagine how you'll be drawn to love him even more. And you'll be talking to him and you're like, I love him. And then you look down and you see those scars. You're like, man, I love him more. You know, look what he did for me. These are the, the emblems of his love for me. And imagine the loyalty you'll feel for him. Imagine like the spontaneous worship that you'll have for him. Imagine how you'll just like weep with joy when you see it. Every time you see the sight of his scars. Jesus has his, his scars still because they're his glory. There's an 8th century writer. His name was Bede. He was called the Venerable Bede. I think it's such a cool name. 
And he said that Jesus wears his scars as everlasting trophies of his victory. Isn't that awesome? Think about a veteran who gets a big, deep gash in his, in his cheek and how glorious that is, how manly that is, how, like, how like cool it is that he has that. They're the trophies of his victory. They're the tattoos of his glory. And what does this show us? One thing it shows us, guys, is that God knows how to bring glory from wounds. Because <laughs> we tend to think when we are wounded that nothing good could come from this. But what Jesus' scars show us is that God can bring glory from wounds. God knows how to make scars sing forever in the world to come in a way that will give us a deep sense of joy and give God an amazing amount of glory. Jesus' resurrection scars prove that God will do great things from all the wounds his children receive following him. No matter what wounds you take on following Jesus, he's going to do great things with them in the world to come. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. And this is Paul, and I could go on and on about Paul's life, but Paul had some wounds, okay? <laughs> he wrote a whole list of them in the same book. This is what he said about it. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, think about this guy's life, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You can't even compare. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's saying there is suffering in following Jesus. There are wounds that you will take in following Jesus that will in the world to come echo for such glory for Jesus and such joy for his people that it's just beyond comparing. You'll be glad you endured it. In some sense, you might wish you endured more when you see what he does with them. Somehow, all the wounds we experience in this life will produce glory in the world to come that everything that we endure here to follow him will seem more than worth it. But wish we had taken on more wounds for following him. Like, I had no idea you were going to do this. A glory beyond all comparison, guys. It's amazing. One side of Thomas knew this, and he knew this so much that he stopped hiding behind closed doors, right? And we can do that too, seeing Jesus' resurrection. In fact, tradition tells us that seeing Jesus alive caused Thomas to go off to India as a missionary. He went there and he got martyred and he got killed, knowing that he would rise again like Jesus and that all the wounds he incurred for following him would be glorious in the resurrection. Guys, behold Jesus' hands and his side, the risen Christ. Do not disbelieve but believe and then receive his shalom. Receive that deep sense in your soul that there is nothing to fear. All is right with the world. The peace of knowing, really knowing that Jesus is certainly is the truth, that God is 100% for you, and your life will be perfect in the resurrection. Like to really know that, to know that everything is going to be okay in the greatest sense of the word everything, and in the greatest sense of the word okay. Guys, he is risen. He's risen. He's risen. Peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, so thankful that you have not left us uncertain about our future hope. You have not left us uncertain about whether we're right with you. You've not left us uncertain about who Jesus is and whether we should give our whole lives to follow him. Lord, you've given us certainty in the resurrection, and we're thankful for that. 
I pray for these people, Lord, that they would go out in the peace, the shalom, the peace of, of knowing their Savior is risen and knowing that he's going to make all things new. Everything sad will become untrue. We will lose nothing to suffering. We will lose nothing to death. And we're so thankful to you for that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.